ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Coming up, Lab and I set the stage for this week's Masters. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Do you know new father John Rahm almost never hits full shots, eight iron through lob wedge? He prefers to hit three-quarter shots to fly low. So a higher spin ball is a necessity for control. And that's what he got in the Chrome Soft X for his golf ball. Did you know three-time Masters champion Phil Mickelson is testing multiple iron sets in his quest to see which one launches the highest to take on Augusta National? If you like equipment notes like these, you're going to love Callaway's new World of Wonder. Johnny Wonder takes you inside the tour truck and the bads of staffers on all our world tours. Inside the Eli Callaway Performance Center for all things equipment and fitting, what the pros are doing may just help you shoot your best score. Check out callawaygolf.com slash worldofwonder today. Lab, you and I both are in Augusta, Georgia. Actually, we're scounded in our hotel room. As we speak, uh, it's good to see your hotel room looks exactly like mine. I have been living here uh, for for a week. Of course, I cover the Augusta National Women's Amateur. I've brought everything that I own. Basically, the only thing that's missing is my is my gateway drum. Uh, otherwise, I have the biggest suitcase I own. Uh, haven't needed to do laundry yet. I've I've made myself uh, at home here at this uh, wonderful Sheridan Hotel in Augusta. To paint the picture on the Zoom call that we have going on here, the bed behind him is just a huge <laughs> pillows and blankets and sheets everywhere. This is an animal living in a hotel room. And we're, and we're not we're not getting uh, housekeeping, of course, because these are these are COVID times. I'm, I'm I'm making do for two weeks with with three towels and two hand towels, same sheets. This is this is just no way to live. There's no way to live. All right. I want to set the stage for this week. We both had an opportunity to see the golf course the last couple of days. You, you've been here a little while longer than I have, Kevin Cover, the ANWA. But before I do that, and I put something on Twitter, and I'm very curious to get your reaction on this. Give me your top three sandwiches in order. One, two, three. If you'd like, I'll do a drum roll, drum roll for you. Uh, number one, uh, I think far and away, is the egg salad. That is my, that's my go-to if I'm in a pinch um it's got that white bread it's not too thick with the egg salad it's it's just it's just the perfect bite uh it's just a just a great little snack so that's for me easily number one uh number two i think i'd probably go with the master's club um it's 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 solid uh it's a little heartier i would say than the egg salad so if 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 i'm looking for a meal i can usually double up uh egg salad at a master club and number three um, I've always been a fan of the chicken sandwich, 
But I got to tell you, Rex, uh, a new addition to 2021 is this chicken salad sandwich on a brioche bun. Now, it's it's a little bit messy. Uh, it's really kind of hit or miss which one you're going to get when you go into the grab-and-go section. Um, but if you can get a, a chicken salad that's not spewing out from all the edges, um, it's it's delicious. It really is. I think that's a terrific addition to to the 2021 Masters. You sound like a crazy person. I knew that's what you were going to say. That's why I set you up for this, because you've been crowing about this new chicken salad sandwich on a brioche bun that you seem, seem so happy about. You haven't even tried like, it. It's not tradition. I'm not going to try it. And look, I'm not one of those idiots that drink that love pimento cheese either. I'm oh, not going to lie. It's garbage. garbage. It's terrible. It, it tastes like mustard and dirt and someone rubbed uh, silly putty into a sandwich. I'm not going to eat that. No, that's not going to happen. I don't like that. However, the chicken sandwich and the classic club and the egg salad, uh, it, I'll give you that. So at one, two, I'm right there with you. But for you to go outside the lines after all of these years, you sound like a crazy person. It's the, the classic chicken sandwich is dry. Anyone who has had it knows that it's dry. It needs so a touch of mustard in it. I'll give you that. It needs a touch of mustard. If it's that good of a sandwich, you shouldn't have to touch it. Do you touch your egg salad? Yeah. Do you throw something else? Do you throw lettuce on your egg salad? Of course not. No, do you is. take your master's club and, and do a couple extra squirts of mustard? Of course not. It's perfect. No, because the master's club has the mayonnaise on it. Like that comes complete as a sandwich. That that alone, that actually could be number one. I, I love the egg salad, but you could make the argument that the master's club is actually the king of the hill. If I'm going to tear through that, that green packaging, I'm expecting what I have in there to be to be suitable for eating. I shouldn't have to dolly it up. The fact that I don't have to dolly up the chicken salad with on a brioche bun leads me to believe that is the number three sandwich now in the Masters Rota. Adam Scott said this afternoon when you and I both asked him about how, what would you compare this golf course to as far as this week versus – This is quite a transition. No, no, no. I knew what I was doing. I, I wanted to set you up for your ridiculous take on, on chicken salad. Like that – no one even does that. Don't, don't knock it until you try it. I can't even – I'm not going to try it. I'm going to knock it. I'm not going to get anywhere near it. Adam Scott was saying that this week compares to, and again, we're just into Monday. So there, there isn't a huge body of work behind us on this, but how firm and how fast the golf course already is. You and I both had the pleasure of playing Palmetto golf club yesterday, which is very, very similar to Augusta. We saw firm. We saw fast. We saw quick. We saw just, we saw triples. Oh my, oh my. That's a very difficult golf course to play. He compared it to the year Zach Johnson won here when he laid up on every par five and it was a completely different test. Do you think we're going to see a completely different test this year? Are we going to see a Zach Johnson year? No. Uh, are we going to see a Trevor Immelman year? No. Are we going to see a Dustin Johnson year where 20 under par wins this championship? Absolutely, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I know it's not an apples and oranges comparison, but I did cover the Augusta National Women's Amateur that was played over the weekend at Augusta National. Again, this is not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. However, on that Saturday the, for the third and final round, there was just one round in the 60s, and there were five total subpar rounds. That was because that was what the ladies were telling me was the firmest, fastest golf course they have ever played. A lot of that had to do with the fact that there was a cold snap in Augusta, uh, a week ago, I know it's hard to imagine now when it's 85 and humid, but last week it was in the 50s. It was really breezy. It was coming out of the north, which is the most difficult uh, wind direction 
for Augusta National. And so it it did. It played brutal. Those women, the, the top women's amateurs in the world, were hitting three woods and hybrids into the 18th green. They were hitting long irons into these par fours that are that are supposed to be accepted with with wedges and short irons. So it's it's an extremely difficult golf course. Augusta, I think, even pushed it to the brink, knowing that they didn't want to have a repeat of 2020, where 20 under par one. Um, so, so I think we're probably going to find a happy medium here. Um, if you're looking at a at a winning score this week, I think right in that sweet spot is 10 to 12 under par. Um, if you take out some of the some of the outliers from five months ago, Dustin was at 20, Sung Jm and Cameron Smith were at 15, and then you had JT at 12. Uh, JT had a good tournament finished fourth and was 12 under par. So I think 10 to 12 under par uh, is, is probably what we're looking at. I think we're supposed to get a little bit of a wet weather um, at the beginning of tournament week. We have long established that you're not very good at gambling, but if I gave you a 12 and a half under par as the over under, which way are you going on that? I mean, I can, I can understand that. Um, because, are you sure? Because rain is in the forecast uh, Thursday and Friday, I'm going to take under on that, but just barely. I think, I think we're – I would say 13. I'm going to, I'm going to amend my previous thing. I think 10 to 13. I think 10, if we don't get weather 13, if we do get weather early, early of the tournament rounds, I'm going to read the weather report, which always makes for an interesting podcast. However, on Friday, it's a 70% chance of rain. Thursday is 40. So it looks like we are going to get some rain as Bubba Watson pointed out this afternoon. though, the way the golf course is right now, I don't know how much that would actually even impact play, to be honest with you, simply because we are seeing a golf course now. That's exactly what Augusta National wants. That a lot of years we show up here and they don't have complete control over the the weather. We'd like to think they have complete control over the golf course, but they don't if they get a ton of rain. In this particular case, I'm confident that as dry as it's been, as windy as it's been, it was sunny, it was an absolutely gorgeous day today. That's exactly what they want in this situation. They could turn this golf course into whatever they want, regardless of a 70% chance of rain on Friday. So I'm you actually over to, under. I'm going to take the under on that. That was a long answer to get to 12 and a half being the, the over under. I'm going to take the under on that. I don't think they get to 12 under because I think this year is going to be one of those unique tests. Uh, there was certainly a, a thump to some of the approaches landing um, on Monday. I think Adam Scott, uh, harken back to the Zach Johnson year where he was on the 16th green. He, he poured water out of his water bottle onto the slope on 16 and it funneled all the way off the green. That's how firm and unreceptive that golf course is where you haven't gotten to that point. And I'm, I'm not sure we're actually going to get to that point. Um, but are you suggesting you think, you think we're going to get single digits under par best players in the world, single digits under par DJ is not going to shoot double digits. No, I don't feel comfortable with single digits. Again, it's 12 and a half is the number. So, you, so, you, so you like that? I like 11, 12. 13 I, I like, a, uh, I like 11, 12. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be close. That's why I kind of set the number there. I'm not a wise guy, but I like to play one on a podcast. But, but I like that number simply because it doesn't matter how difficult you make this golf course. These are really, really good players. There's still going to be someone who ends up making a lot of putts this week. There's still going to be someone that just has complete control of their golf ball. And they're going to go out there and shoot double digits under par. So, no. I'm not, I'm not giving you the nine under par. That's not going to work. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So it does seem like we're in agreement. Uh, obviously, the best players in the world are assembling this week. We're going to get to some of the favorites here. Uh, on, a, on a video segment that you and I did, uh, 
uh, for Golf Channel that is now making the rounds on social media. Um, you picked for a tournament favorite, Patrick Reed. I picked Justin Thomas because I'm a logical um, and intelligent um, golf observer. Uh, you picked Patrick Reed, of course, the 2018 champion uh, of the Masters. Defend yourself because you are picking Patrick Reed as your number one favorite for the Masters tournament. Please, the floor is yours. I don't feel like I need to defend myself. Also, I do feel like we need to defend the pot or defend those videos that we did because in those videos, which I think we ended up doing three or four of them, if I remember correctly, At they least. were filmed. They were filmed well in advance the way, again, behind the curtain, those need to be filmed the week before you and I even leave to go to Augusta. You left early to cover the Anwa. We had no idea that young Jordan Spieth was going to become young. Stop Jordan adding Spieth again. in. Yes. I understand that we, we did, we did this last week. Please people stop, stop adding me on, on Twitter. Yes. Had we waited until Sunday afternoon to do these videos, of course we would have included Probably we would, we would have done three of those four videos on Jordan Spieth because I cannot tell you what a man crush Ryan Labner has on Jordan Spieth when it comes. I mean, the idea that I sat and stared at him on Sunday afternoon after we had played golf and he was so angry that he wasn't on a plane and flying to San Antonio to be there for Jordan Spieth's huge breakthrough after so many years of being on the rocks. Are you finally on the bandwagon now? Because you've, you've been on me all year and, and look, we saw what happened. I in never Phoenix. said Jordan Spieth could not come back. Wait we a minute, saw, you're not boxing me. No, no, no. Part. I'm saying, I'm saying this year you always wanted to see more, and so we saw what happened in Phoenix. He had the great 61 on Saturday. Couldn't get it done with a share of the 54 hole lead with Sanders Shoffley on Sunday. I get it. That was his first time in really serious contention in almost three years. Okay, so you kind of you kind of give him a pass for the 54 hole lead there. Uh, a week later, Pebble Beach. Plays great. Had a two-shot lead uh, heading into the final round. Could not get it done there. At that point, you think, oh, okay. This might be a little bit of a problem, right? Like he's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take him some time to, to get used to those winning ways. Fast forward a couple weeks more. Bay Hill enters the final round two shots back. At this point, I'm in a full panic. Uh, I was not credentialed to cover the Arnold Palmer Invitational Bay Hill. It's about 45, 45 minutes from my house. Uh, I was desperately wanting to cover that golf tournament because I said, this is it. This is the time Jordan Spieth's going to win. He's you in my hometown. You tried to Bigfoot one of our other reporters. You tried it's, to Bigfoot the other reporter on staff. I'm not going to name any names. You tried to get him knocked off the beat no, so you could go cover we could Jordan share. Spieth's victory. We could share the stage. That wasn't going to happen. We could share it was the only going to be one of you. We've already established this. Those are, those are tour protocols. Uh, fortunately for me, unfortunately for Jordan, uh, he shot 75, um, and faded. You covered the match play. He had a little bit of difficulty closing out his match in particular against Matt Kuchar, where he really let him in. So look, heading into last week's Valero, Texas open, there was reasonable doubt whether Jordan currently had the goods to close out a tournament. That was a, a reasonable assumption. Was it not? There was, there was legitimate questions about whether Jordan could close the deal. Would you agree I had with that? Not I had not seen enough. I think that was my line. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And all Jordan Spieth did over on the weekend was shoot 67-66. He withstood a flurry of birdies from Charlie Hoffman. I know Charlie Hoffman isn't a top 10 player in the world, but, he, but, but if Charlie Hoffman's throwing birdies at you and you're trying to win for the first time since 2017, you're going to feel something that you haven't felt in a very, very long time. 
And so for Jordan to speak to pull it out, shooting 18 under par on what is historically a very difficult golf course at TPC San Antonio with everyone expecting him to win against that field and to do it and to do it the way he did it with the closing 66, I think it was absolutely massive, massive for Jordan. And you have to be on the bandwagon now that Jordan Spieth is back. You have to be. Do you, do you think everyone was expecting him to win? Is that really what you think? Because yes. I don't agree with that. He's going up yeah. against Charlie Hoffman, Matt Wallace, Honor Bon Lahiri. This isn't Jordan Spieth Lucas from five Glover. years ago. This isn't Jordan Spieth that made a run at the single season Grand Slim. This slam. isn't. This is that, a that much also, different. It also player. isn't the Lucas Glover who won the U.S. Open. Look, he's he's going up against guys who either haven't won Fair the PGA enough. Tour in a very long time. Look, Jordan Spieth was the prohibitive favorite, and he got it done. I don't even know about prohibitive favorite, but he did get it done. And yes, I obviously I've seen enough. I mean, that was impressive. One bogey over the final round on that golf course, which is very, very demanding. Like I, it didn't look as if the wind was blowing like it normally does at TBC San Antonio. However, that's an amazing round to close with the 66 and to do what he did. So yes, I'm, I'm on the bandwagon. I don't know that I was ever off. The you Jordan were off Steve the bandwagon. Long time listeners of this podcast know that you were trashing him. You didn't believe in him. You thought this comeback was just a mirage. You know, we, like we, all, we all, we all know right now. So, I, I so what, feel, don't feel like this is the case at all, but go on. So what, so what do you think this portends now for masters week? Because last uh, week, last week I called him a top three favorite and you dumped on me. Uh, I did. Yeah. That was before, again, that was before he that won was the before Texas he open. Won, I was a believer. The first PGA Tour victory of his in uh, over 1,400 days. I don't know the exact number, but it's over 1,400 days in between victories for him. So, yes, I needed to see him close it out on a Sunday. I was at the match play. I saw him beat hands some finishes and not get it done. And those are just microcosms of what happened on a Sunday on the PGA Tour, and he just did not have it. However, what I saw on Sunday, absolutely. In San Antonio, that's amazing. Go easy, my top three, which we'll get to later in the podcast. No. He is not in my top three. He's probably in my top five if I sit and think about, think hard about it simply because this is a golf course where he has played well in the past. And to get to your question, which I dodged very artfully that you didn't even realize, Patrick Reed is still going to be my favorite because I still like the way he's playing right now. I like his record on this golf course. I like the fact he's very much under the radar. I, I like a lot of things that we can get into. However, I just think when you're looking at favorites – when it comes to this particular golf course that you have to find someone who not so much is on in form right now, but that has the ability to find the form this particular week. And we've seen it year in and year out. We've seen guys show up at Augusta national and you look at their records and you're like, yeah, there's no way he, he's not going to win. Like that's not going to happen. And it happens. And I just particularly like Patrick Reed in that capacity this week. Except Jordan Spieth is that guy in both, Good he form is. and bad. No, no, he no. no. I like him. To Augusta National, agreed, and played well. Patrick Reed. No. Patrick, I, I look. Patrick Reed won in 2018. I understand your fascination with him. He has a terrific short game. Not been that long ago. And if it's playing firm and fast, and a lot of people are missing greens, then yeah, you could you could make a case for Patrick Reed. Didn't we just talk for 10 minutes about it playing firm and fast and a lot of people missing greens? I thought we just had that conversation. So it's either going to bring in the scramblers or it's going to bring in the players 
who are striking the ball the best. Iron play is always of paramount importance at Augusta National, and Jordan Spieth is once again an elite iron player. If you want to talk about Patrick Reed's record at the Masters and somehow some guys just just show up at Augusta National and transform into a different player, he had the win in 2018, top 10 last year in an uh, in a tournament that a lot of elite players are basically throwing out because the tournament's never going to play like that again. Other than that, miscut, T22, T49, miscut, T36. What has Patrick Reed done recently? Obviously, he won Torrey Pines. Since then, T66, T9, miscut, T22, T28. And Patrick Reed with those stats? Yes. You're, you're kind of glossing over the idea that he just won the Farmers Insurance Open, which was in late January. That was January 31st. He finished tied for ninth at a World Golf Championship Workday Championship, which included three, uh, four rounds under par in that particular scenario. And then T22 at the Players' Championship, which I will take as a, uh, let, let's call it, I'm playing very, very well. Maybe my putting wasn't great that week so yes i'm fine with that t28 at the match play i'm not worried about that let's be honest it's the match play are you sitting here up in arms worrying about dj bowing out in the first round uh i do think there are some questions about dj that i didn't have let's say a month and a half ago uh i think that's probably fair to say dustin johnson he traditionally hasn't played well in the state of florida and he certainly didn't this time uh coming off of what was really a shaky Sunday at Riviera when a lot of people were expecting him to win. Uh, he fouled that up uh, with finishes well outside the top 25 at both concession, TBC Sawgrass, and then, of course, the match play where um, he lost in the, in the first round. If DJ's driver is working, and I watched him uh, for the majority of his practice round on Monday where he was playing with Roy McIlroy, it seemed to be locked in pretty well. I mean, he's, he aims on the left side and absolutely smashes – uh, that power fade. I actually liked a lot what I saw um, from from Dustin Johnson. All right, so let's let's get into our top three favorites here. Uh, I've already mentioned two of them. One is Jordan Spieth. I think he's an absolute no-brainer, not just because of the way that he's currently playing, uh, arguably as well as anyone on the PGA Tour, um, but also just his course history. Um, he's played well at this golf course in good form and bad, um, and this is certainly good form. Dustin Johnson... Uh, to me, I would put him as my number one favorite right now. Uh, player of four consecutive top tens at Augusta National. Uh, I watched him for the majority of his practice round on Monday uh, when he was playing with Roy McIlroy. The driver is going to be the big question for DJ. Uh, he was lining up down the left side and smashing that power fade that he hits so well. So if that continues uh, over the course of tournament week, if he's figured out something with swing coach Claude Harmon III, um, I think the rest of the field needs to watch out. And so for the third, for the top three, I, I kind of vacillated on this. At the beginning of the week, I would have said John Rahm. Um, over the weekend, John and his lovely bride, Kelly, welcomed their first child, baby boy, uh, early Saturday morning. John Rahm is not arriving to Augusta, Georgia until Tuesday night. He's going to speak with the media on Wednesday, and he's going to play a practice run on Wednesday. Whether it's nine holes or 18 holes, we don't, we don't know at this point, at this point of the taping. I don't like that. I don't like that for one of the tournament favorites getting maybe, maybe one full round of practice in uh, at the home of the Masters. I don't like it at all. I understand he's John Rom. 
I understand he's the world number three. I understand he's playing well. I understand he seemingly finishes in the top 10 every single time he, he tees it up at the Masters. But it just seems a little bit rushed. And for good reason. For good reason. John Rahm is already a contender for 2021 Dad of the Year. But I don't like him as my top three favorite anymore, sadly. I'm going to pick Patrick Cantlay. Patrick oh, Cantlay. Wow. That was a curveball. I did not see you going that way. That's Patrick Cantley's Patrick Cantley is my number three. Had a chance to win here in 2019. Played well again last uh, last year. Winner, of course, the Zozo. He absolutely loves firm and fast greens, which of course you're going to have this week. And he's playing well. He just lit it up in the match play and just happened to run into a buzzsaw on Brian Harmon. Patrick Cantley, number three. I like Patrick Cantlay, and I, I was vacillating uh, on putting him onto my list only because every year he's played here, he's gotten better. He's absolutely amazing how he seems to learn. He's like a sponge. He just absorbs everything you need. Very to. intelligent human being. Absolutely. Uh, however, I went the other way. So I've already made my argument for P. Reed, which you clearly are not a fan of, but I'm going to stick I like with him. it. I like him as like a top seven. Uh, well, I mean, if, how about this? If you flipped it, because I'm going with JT for my second pick. So if you flipped it and pointed out that, look, JT has not played his most consistent golf this year for a lot of different reasons, some of those self-imposed, some of them not. But in this particular case, I like the fact that he's coming off a big victory at the Players' Championship, which is a big tournament to him and the rest of the PGA Tour on a very difficult golf course. And I also like the idea that, look, he's motivated right now, that he's kind of in form. He has the opportunity to take over world number one this week. All of these things factor into it. So if you flip those two, I think you could wrap your mind around it better. If I went JT first and P. Reed second, I think you would be fine. I would absolutely be fine. And in fact, okay, in that, let's in, do it that way. In that, in that aforementioned video uh, that's now circulating on social media, I picked Justin Thomas as my favorite for the golf tournament. Justin Thomas makes the most birdies on the PGA Tour. He's number one in birdie average. So you completely changed your mind between last whatever day we did it. I believe it was last Tuesday and today. Um, I didn't completely change my mind. I just bumped him down to you number didn't four. Put, I, don't, okay. I bumped him down to number four. He's not on your win place show list any longer is what you're telling me. So you He's completely not. changed your mind. I just think there's a little bit of question about his form. I, I understand. I covered that tournament. He won the Players' Championship. He did not play well except for two rounds. And they were a spectacular two rounds on the weekend at the players championship spectacular. Some of the best golf we've seen in a long, long time from a ball striking standpoint, but I still have some questions about his putting. Um, and I still have some questions about whether that form is here to stay. That's all I'm saying. Speaking about questions about putting, I don't know that DJ's putting great right now. And that's not to say he can't turn it around this week. And certainly I've watched him uh, certainly Monday, and the work he's putting in, I mean, he is focused on his putting. He knows where he's going to win this tournament. That being said, at the match play, like, he did not putt well. And little, you can see a little, you... little, little ugly, yeah. Yeah. And this is going to come down to being a putting contest this week. At the very least, it's going to come down to being a lag putting contest. So, no, I'm not a whole lot confident on that one. For my third pick, and this one surprises me a little bit, folks, because as surprises we Surprises sat... yourself? No, 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 no. I'll go back to your third pick. This surprises me because as we sat in the, the grill room there at Palmetto Golf Club on Sunday afternoon and watching the finish, and he was Lav was getting misty-eyed because Jordan Spieth was doing, doing Jordan Spieth things. It's a moment. Brooks Blackburn, who is the pro 
at Palmetto told us a story that Kevin Kisner, who's a member at Palmetto Golf Club, actually had Brian Harmon and Victor Hovland, who is also one of Lavner's favorites, out to Palmetto on Saturday. A lot of favorites. He got a lot of favorites. And he said he made nine birdies in a round. And it's your impossible. eyes Folks. Your eyes lit up through 15 holes. He didn't play the first hole. He didn't play the last two holes. So through 15 holes, he had nine birdies. Your eyes lit up like it was Christmas morning. Folks, I can assure you that is it is not humanly possible. <laughs> I, I played the golf course 24 hours later. There is not nine birdies out there. I'm not even sure you could I'm not even sure you could putt for a birdie nine times. Uh, <laughs> but Victor Hovland, if this does become a ball striking contest, you're talking about being a putting contest, statistically, historically, traditionally, that's just not true. The Masters it's a lag is a, putting. It's a lag putting contest. The Masters is a ball striking contest. When it gets that firm and that fast, you really have to be precise. And so I'm going to rely on some of the best ball strikers. That would be Victor Hovland, which is why if you're going to put Victor Hovland as number three, just to complete your thought there, I think. Um, no, I'm not. I, I was shocked. I thought you and I were going to, going to go back and forth on this one. I'm going with Brian Harmon, who was the other oh member of that group. Oh, my God. You were picking as the favorites, your power rankings. If someone's at Rex. Rex, give me your top. This is more of a dark three. horse. This is more of a dark horse, and I'm just I'm, I'm we're getting into the sleepers. The why are you why are you jumping ahead? No, 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 no. I'm I'm good with doing it this way because here's the reason why. And I, I love Brian a Harmon didn't Hattie. make nine birdies. Victor Hovland made nine birdies. Brian Harmon made three straight putts from 20 feet. That Brooks Blackburn, again, the pro at Palmetto, said it was unbelievable. Like you don't make these 20 footers. And he said, just warming up on the practice putting green, just knock three in and then walk straight to the tee. I like that kind of swagger on that golf course. So your three favorites for this golf tournament are Patrick Reed, Justin Thomas, and Brian Harmon? I'm sticking with him. Uh, and as far as Brian Harmon goes, I do want to point out that in his last two starts, he's finished in the top five. He was tied for third at the Players Championship. He finished tied for fifth at the match play. He's in very, very good form. He also tied for eighth at the American Express. He hasn't missed a cut since last November at the RSM Classic. So, again, he's playing very, very good golf. I think this is a golf course, again, that Georgia is too South big for him. Georgia South Paul seemed to do really, really well on this golf course historically. And when you say it's really, really big for him, I would agree with you if we were playing this tournament in November, but we're not. We're playing this tournament in April on a very hard, very bouncy golf course. And I like his chances this week more than I probably would ever like his chances. Do you want to know Brian Harmon's record at the Masters? Uh, no, no, no. I know his record at the Masters, and we can sit here and talk about it all night long, but I still like my pick. Miscut. T44. Brian Harmon is not going to win the Masters. Uh, he may not win the Masters, but again, I, I like the idea of him coming out and playing very, very well. I can see certainly a top 10 out of Brian Harmon this week. Oh, my. Okay. We're going to need to move forward. Um, we, we can, can move quickly. forward. And I wanted to touch on top storylines because we did not touch on some of the things. And among yes. those storylines, and you and I both have. Some, some thoughts on this. You have addressed Jordan Spieth, so we don't need to circle back around on that again. However, Roy McIlroy talks to the press tomorrow. I would like to get your thoughts on that. And Bryson. Uh, starting with, with Rory, um, you covered the match play. That was his first tournament since Players' Championship, where he basically admitted that he lost his way trying to chase some of that Bryson speed. Watched him um, for the majority of his, his practice round on Monday. Still not sharp. Uh, still having issues off the tee. Uh, we didn't get a good sense of of how he was putting, which has also been kind of a bugaboo for him uh, recently. Look, he's he's in the midst of a swing change right now. 
Uh, we, we tend to be so reactionary to this. We, we tend to, 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 you know, put so much emphasis on every single round and dissect it in forensic detail. Um, and the fact of the matter is this is just going to take time. Rory's, I'd be shocked if he contends this week. Cause I just don't think he has the full confidence um, in his full swing right now. Uh, that's, that's just where I am with Rory. I think he's going to get there. Pete Cowan has worked miracles before. I'm not saying it's going to take a miracle for Rory to become world number one again, but it is going to take uh, some significant retraining of, of muscles and, and habits that have, that have unfortunately turned poor for him. No, I walked the first four holes of the practice round. He played with DJ on Monday and I was taken by the same thing. It, it doesn't look like he has found a, an answer to his driver. It's hard to say about putting simply because in a practice round, it doesn't seem to be like he's taking a lot of things seriously. What, what strikes me is, in, and I wanted to do this story and it was going to be so, it was going to be such a tough hill to climb that I wasn't able to, to pull it together, but it's 10 years since 2011. And let's face it, that was his one and best chance to win this tournament and he goes to the back nine and just completely unravels. Like we've really never seen anyone unravel before. 2018, I guess. He had a good chance. You no, know, he had a good chance, but I mean, when you go into the final round, three strokes up, I think you've got to feel like, all right, this is my tournament to lose. And he certainly lost that tournament. And Greg Norman comes to mind when you think about collapses at Augusta national, uh, I would put Francesco Molinari in 2019. I would put Jordan Spieth in that list. But when you think back to 2011 and what happened on those final couple of holes and what struck me as I sort of approached this week and start thinking about it in the context of the arc of Rory McIlroy's career was something that Lee Westwood said that Sunday at Augusta. And, and I think it might've gotten he and Rory sideways. It's that Lee just kind of spoke truth to power, I guess, in this particular case and said, we all know Rory's miss. And when he's off, he's going to miss left. And almost on cue, Rory hit it left of left on 10, and suddenly things just went sideways. And I just wonder, he has certainly won, and he's, and he's won in a prolific way since then. But when it comes to this specific tournament, he has never really allowed himself to rebound from that. And you point to 2018, and yeah, I, that was a very good tournament for him. But I just don't know there's a mental hurdle there. And this is the one, right? This is the one that gets him over the hurdle. This is the one that gets him the career grand slam. I, I wonder, even at a, at a relatively young age, for being in that window of, okay, I can still win the Masters, I don't know that he ever gets it done. And, and that's kind of sad to me because I felt like this was someone that was easily going to get that green jacket, if not multiple green jackets. 31 years old. Uh, I'm not yet ready to, to throw in the towel on, on Rory's uh, Oh, I'm not chances. either. No, 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 no. But, but I'm not I, either. And I, I do think I, I actually like the move to Pete Cowan because it shows – that Rory is no longer satisfied with just the status quo, that he's no longer satisfied with just being that insanely talented player. There are obvious weaknesses in Rory's game, and he's now going through the steps in trying to remedy them. And that, of course, is his wedge play. Rory is arguably the best driver on the PGA Tour, if not the best driver. And so the opportunities that he's going to leave himself throughout the course of a round, it's going to come down to short iron player and wedge play. And, and P Cowan is a master at refining that aspect um, of a player's game. And so I don't think it's going to happen this week. Um, I think it eventually when you, he's going to be able to spend more time with, with Pete now here in the States over the coming months, 
I'm I'm not yet ready to say that, that Rory can't win a major um, in 2021, but but some important work um, is lying ahead. Another one of Pete Cowan's pupils, of course, is Brooks Kepka. I think even Pete Cowan is surprised that Brooks Kepka has stated his intention to play in the Masters just a couple weeks after having surgery uh, to repair a dislocated uh, kneecap and his right knee, as well as some assorted uh, ligament damage. First of all, Rex, I'm, I'm assuming that you're surprised as well that, that Brooks is even here. Um, are you convinced that he's going to actually make it to Thursday? Because seeing him on seeing him on Monday afternoon, not going to lie, didn't look so good. We were standing in sort of the scrum area, just to paint the picture for everyone listening to this, and, and uh, uh, some scribes, including myself and Ryan Lavender, were watching Brooks come off the golf course. And as he walked by us, it was almost in slow motion. It was almost theater, watching him limp. I mean, it, it wasn't even a pronounced limp. It was an, just an absolute limp. Like, he's limping off the golf course, literally limping off this golf course. And we couldn't turn away. It was like a car crash. It was like a NASCAR race, whatever the case may be. To answer your question, watching that, absolutely. I am a little surprised. And I've always been impressed with Brooks as an athlete. He's always willing to put himself out there as an athlete. And I think in his mind, he's trying to do what an athlete does in this situation. And that's play through the pain. And I'm sure he has doctors who have told him that you're not going to hurt it anymore going out and playing this golf course. It was amazing to me that on Sunday, that the report that we got that he wanted to go out and test his knee. So he played what in retrospect, in my mind, I can't believe I ever thought about this is the coolest loop at Augusta national. It's one, two, eight, nine, but you could not find a more difficult walk in golf as far as uphill, downhill goes, all of those things. And he went out and put himself through that. I think he'll end up playing. I think he'll end up finishing. I can't imagine how he ends up making the cut because his body's not 100%. And I'll go back to this is what that generation learned from, right? This is Tiger Woods in 2008 when the doctors told him, no, you can't play the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. And he glared at the doctors and said, I'm going to go play the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines and spend an entire week hissing at everyone that looked in his direction and ended up winning in probably what was the most dramatic victory of his absolute career. So, of course, Brooks is going to play. Am I surprised? Yes. But in this particular case, he's going to paint himself in that picture, and this is what he's going to do. That all being said, man, if he makes the cut, that's going to be an amazing story. Pete Cowan said on Monday that Brooks's greatest challenge this week isn't swinging the golf club with his injured knee. It's walking the golf course. And I think we saw our, yeah. have already seen the toll of him doing that, not just the four-hole loop that he played on Sunday, but also he walked back, with, excuse me, the second nine uh, on, on Monday and, as, as you so aptly described, limped off the golf course. Uh, I'll be curious to see how much more he's going to endure uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday, or if he just kind of preserves his knee um, until Thursday and, and tees it up. We're, we're, we're not doctors. Uh, we haven't seen Brooks's MRIs or his x-rays, but if you look on WebMD and type in <laughs> dislocated kneecap, he's looking at what was supposed to be a six to nine month recovery. And we're looking at now he's just a couple weeks removed uh, from surgery. So it, sh it should be very interesting. This, this podcast has gotten a little bit unwieldy and I, we do apologize. It is the masters. We get very excited to talk about this final topic of discussion. Wait a minute. No, 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 wait. 
I, I is, don't even want to. Bryson DeChambeau. We got to talk about Bryson. No, no, no. And I want to talk about Bryson. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to play one on a podcast. But yes, Bryson the polar bear. That's who we have to talk about right now. And I'll set the scene for this because I was standing on the first tee as he, he had played the back nine. He had circled around. He'd walked over to the first tee by himself. And I'm standing next to his agent. And he just launches a drive. So far right. So high. So far. And you're just like, it, it, it would have hit the old media center if anybody is kind of familiar with the way it used to be in the old media center. And then he does it again in the exact same shot. And his agent says to me, I think he's trying to cover the bunkers up on the right-hand side. And then someone else says, no, he's trying to cover the trees. And I don't know how far that is. I don't know what kind of shot, second shot that sets up. But after everything that we went through in November, after all of this chasing speed and chasing distance and messing with longer shafted drivers and everything else that he does part of this grand experiment. And I felt like there was a lesson to be learned there, right? I think we're both in agreement on this, that you don't win the masters by doing it this particular way, that there's other elements of your game that you need to worry about, that he is still fixated on trying to break Augusta national over his knee. He does not have the media spotlight that he had in November. Um, that was really the first time in his career that he headed into a golf tournament. The undisputed focal point for a golf tournament. And, and quite frankly, he didn't handle it well. And he'll be the first to admit that. He said he uh, really struggled that week just knowing that so much pressure was on him. He talked about his, his gut health and, you know, he, he complained of dizzy spells. Like it just, it just did not go right either from a, from mental aspect of physical aspect a physiological aspect. Like it, it just didn't work that week in November, he was tinkering with the 47 or 48 in his driver this week. He's apparently tinkering now with this, this new Cobra driver that he's been kind of hinting at. I talked to him like a month ago at concession that he's, he's got this driver face that is supposed to alleviate some of these, these errant misses I didn't understand the physics of it, but but he was kind of toying with the idea of, of debuting at the Players' Championship. It clearly wasn't ready yet, and now he's apparently um, poised to, to trot it out here at the Masters. I want to be very clear about this. Bryson DeChambeau did not win the Masters in November because of some errant drives. He actually drove it above average. Bryson DeChambeau didn't win the Masters in November because of his wedge play and his putting. That is the biggest differentiator for him con considering where he's driving it. And he really hasn't made strides in that area to fix it. You, you look at Bryson's record in this event. It's not good. This is arguably the weakest field of any of the four majors. Just considering the field, how the, the size of it, the past champions who are in there, the amateurs, you, you, you name it. Bryson does not have a top 20 finish in this tournament. His best finish was T21 in 2016. That was when he played as the reigning U.S. amateur champion. He was still an amateur. That was his best finish. T21. This is not a golf course that he has learned how to solve, and he's not learned how to solve it yet because of his wedge play. And I think a lot of it, Rex, has to do with the fact that this is the one major championship in which he is not allowed to use the green reading books that he relies on uh, so, how should we say, fervently during regular PJ Tour events. No, I think we're absolutely both in agreement here. 
and look, I think both of us are, I, I can't, cannot wait to get to the golf course on Tuesday as press conferences early. I want to write that column because I am fascinated by Bryson DeChambeau. Like a lot of people are fascinated by Bryson DeChambeau. He's pushing the boundaries. And I remember asking Xander Schauffele at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot if, if he was redefining the game and Xander thought about it for a minute and gave me a really cool answer. And he says, no, I think he's exploiting the game, which, and I don't think he meant that as a negative. I didn't take it as a negative. I think, think it's a very interesting way to look at what he's trying to do to the game. All that being said, I think we're both on the same page that you cannot overpower Augusta national. There are going to be holes that you can take advantage of it, but if you're chipping and if you're putting is not also on the exact same level, you're not going to have a chance to contend. And I think that's what it's going to boil down to. All right, we're going to get out of here on this. Give me your top three. And I'm throwing this at you cold. So you're going to hate it. Give me your top three master traditions. Traditions. Uh, it's absolutely stuffing my face uh, with sandwiches, feeling guilty and going home and working out for like a month straight to, to, uh, to get rid of it. That's, that's one. Uh, number two is taking a GoPro uh, about five o'clock during our practice round days, going out to Amen Corner and taking pictures. Of course, I did that today uh, with a GoPro with 1% battery. And so I did not get any pictures. And number three, uh, pre-COVID times, it was kind of just hanging under the, the, the big oak behind the clubhouse, um, talking to the various stakeholders in the game, the movers and shakers, everyone who is anyone uh, is under that tree. And it's just for, for us who are writing about the golf tournament, that's where you can just pluck off so many people. And unfortunately we're, we're not able to do that this year. Those are my three. Just, just to be clear, you're throwing your wife under the, the bus for the GoPro not being charged. She said, right? she, she said that she charged it. She didn't. I can't wait to, to hear how that works out for you. All right. Mine are very, very simple. Uh, it's seeing the golf course for the first time. And in recent years, it's been on Sunday for the drive, chip and putt. And you have got to look at it on Saturday. But when you see it for the first time, whether if that's Saturday or Sunday, or even Monday, you realize that's as pristine as it's going to be. And I think there, that's the highest appreciation I have of the golf course. When you walk in and you see it in its perfect form and you know that a week from now, that on Sunday afternoon, it's going to be a little muddy. It's going to be a little dirty. It's going to be a little trampled on that. That's sort of just, part and parcel of the process but seeing it for the first time yeah i absolutely love that it's the round that you and i play on sunday afternoons at palmetto golf club it's enjoyable because we love the golf course and we always seem to have a good time there and then finally not the chicken salad sandwich that'll do it we'll see you next time on the golf center podcast presented by callaway golf Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.